Good evening. All right, this is a, I haven't really worked or got good at my introductions yet, so this is kind of always the most awkward moment for me. Uh, but I'm working on it, so. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last time I was with you guys, which is in First Peter. Uh, we went through the greeting, and now we are in to the main body in verses 3 through 9. The title of my message tonight is Rejoice in Hope. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through the passage, and then I'll pray again, and we'll get to it. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, the privilege to stand up here and open your word and speak to your people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray as we go through this letter, Lord, that you will open hearts and open minds, Lord, that your word will set out to do what you intend for it to do, that lives, hearts, minds will be transformed by it, Lord. I pray tonight, Lord, that if I may speak anything, Lord, that is not of you, Lord, that it is not what you intended to, for me to speak, Lord, that you will let it fall upon deaf ears, Lord, and all that it is that you do intend me to speak, Lord, that it takes root, Lord, and becomes transformational to all that hear it, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection, Lord, the hope of eternal life and all that comes with it. Now, as we open your word, Lord, I just pray that you bless our time together and just make it, glory, make it glorious to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start reading verses 3 through 9, and then we'll do a quick recap to kind of pick up and set some context uh, for when we left off. Verse 3, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if we remember the context in which this letter is written, Peter is addressing a group of churches made up of mostly Gentile believers in a region that is now modern-day Turkey. He refers to these believers as elect exiles because of their new life in Christ, which has brought them into the kingdom of God, with Christ as king, and as a result, shifted their allegiance away from their old life, which was rooted in paganism, and now has placed them in a group of people who have dedicated their lives to worshiping and serving a Jewish God-man who rumor has it, was sentenced to death on a Roman cross and came back to life three days later. These Christians would have been the target of slander and criticism by their friends and family who would have felt shame and embarrassment due to their association with this, with, with this religious and cultural traitors. 
They would have been pressured by the, their, those closest to them and the greater community within which they live to abandon their faith and come back to their old way of living. An old way of living that Peter will describe later in this chapter as their former ignorance and futile ways. So, Peter, knowing of the suffering and trials that they are going through and anticipating that it will only get worse before it gets better, is going to continue to point them to the triune God of the universe and all that he has accomplished before them and all that he's done for them. This will be their hope that allows them to endure the trials set before them. And not just endure, but endure while rejoicing with an inexpressible glory-filled joy. Which is why I've titled my sermon today, Rejoice in Hope. And if there's a takeaway that I want you to take away from tonight, is that because the gospel is true, because Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead, there is always reason to rejoice. So we'll look at the first three verses. Sorry, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to pause right there real quick. Peter begins this passage with praise for God the Father. He speaks about his great mercy towards sinners and that has been made known to them in the act of being born again. The spiritual new birth, the regenerating, life-giving work of the Spirit as he calls and gives the gift of faith to his elect, causing them to repent and believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the foundational truth of the hope we have as Christians. It is the single historical event on which all of our hope rests. Bluntly put, no resurrection, no hope. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not raised, and there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no imputation of his righteousness, no hope of eternal life. Just a lunatic and a liar rotting in a tomb, and we shouldn't believe a word he said. But praise God, he is risen, grace. Amen. We just celebrated this historical event last week, and we're now reading the words written by a man who sat on the beach and chowed down on some grilled fish with the resurrected Christ. I repeat, he is risen. risen But the fact that he is risen does not automatically save anybody. It does not save me. It does not save you. It does not save anyone. In order for one to be saved by Christ's life, death, and resurrection, one must repent and believe in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And this repentance and belief is not something that we can muster up on our own. We are spiritually dead. Dead men do not will themselves back to life. Dead men do not look at the evidence presented to them and draw out a pros and cons list of why faith in Jesus is logical. Dead men do not raise hands and walk aisles and repeat prayers. Dead men do nothing except rot. It takes the effectual calling and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritually dead men to life. You must be born again to believe. John 1, verses 12 through 13. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that one cannot enter or see, even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Grace, it was God who took our rotting, spiritually dead souls and breathed new life into them. It was God who caused us to be born again and believe in and trust in Jesus and his glorious resurrection from the dead. It is because of God that the previously damned and hopeless are now the most blessed and hope-filled people on earth. It's why Peter can write to a group of believers facing trials and persecution. And one of the first things he does is he breaks out in praise and worship of the God of great mercy, whom he, whom we serve. We have been born again to a living hope, which is the hope of eternal life with Jesus. And we see in verses 4 through 5, it's accompanied by an inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says that within this hope is an inheritance. Now, when we read the word inheritance, it's important to understand that an inheritance is not a reward that's based off your performance. No, an inheritance is a free gift based solely on relationship. The believer's union to Christ and their sealing by the Holy Spirit is the very basis on which the inheritance is received. Romans 8, 16-17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, there's the relationship, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. This inheritance, eternal life lived in God's presence, Christ's companionship, eternal joy, peace, righteousness, perfect fellowship with the saints, I can go on and on. When your father owns everything because he created everything, you can just kind of imagine what your inheritance is going to look like. This is what awaits us, Grace, and it will never perish. It can't be corrupted. It will never fade. It's ours for eternity. It's already there. The decorations are hung. The cake has been baked. And if I have it my way, there's an in and out catering truck there. <laughs> Double doubles for everybody. All we need to do is get to the party. And we will get to the party. Because just like God is keeping our inheritance ready for us in heaven, God is also keeping us guarded through faith so that we are guaranteed to receive that inheritance at the culmination of world history when Christ returns and makes all things new. He has not only saved us past tense, 
but is day by day saving us, preserving us, guarding us, present tense. Through the gift of faith, yes, even the faith we possess is a gift given to us by God, Ephesians 2.8. So that we are sure to receive and enjoy all that God has for us on the day when Christ returns and our salvation is fully and perfectly realized. Praise him, for he is a God of great mercy. Peter is telling these Christians, hey, I've heard all about the hard times and the horrible things that you are going through right now. And we're going to get to that. We're going to address that. But right now, right now, I just want to tell you, I want you to know, I want to remind you of everything that God has done for you and what awaits you in eternity as his child. Brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen and a broken world. I know that just by looking at the number of people in here tonight, the odds are that you have or somebody in here has endured some horrible things. Things that have broken your heart and damaged you in ways that only God knows. I know that some of you are probably enduring hard times right now. I even know that the odds are there are some of us in here that have done horrible things. We've hurt people and broken people's hearts with our words and actions. We're filled with guilt and regret. I know that. I understand that. But right now, right now, if you've trusted in Christ, I want to tell you, I want you to know, and I want to remind you of all that God has done for you and all that awaits you in eternity as his child. Christ lived the life we never could live. He died the death we all deserve. He took upon himself our sins and the due punishment for it. He took on the full fury of the Father's wrath that was aimed at us. He died, he was buried, and he resurrected on the third day. And now for all who believe and trust in him, forgiveness of sins, his righteousness is now your righteousness, his spirit lives inside of you and has sealed you as God's child, and eternal life and an inheritance of unfading glory awaits you. That's truth. That's our hope. That's the hope that Peter was reminding these elect exiles of. That's the hope they needed to be focused on, and that is the hope that I will remind you to focus on tonight and forevermore. Our hope is secure. We pick it up in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what I see in these next two verses. I see, one, the hope that we have received by God's great mercy is reason to rejoice in any and all circumstances. Yes, even in the midst of grief and trials. 
Looking towards Jesus and our inheritance gives us the ability to transform our present sufferings and offer us hope in the worst of times. Because the gospel is true, because our hope is living and secured for us, because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, there is always reason to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, we must pray and ask God for the grace to endure the various trials of our lives while rejoicing in the hope that is laid up for us. Two, any grief we go through, any trials we encounter, has to be viewed through the lens of eternity as a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-17 to says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So yes, our grief and our suffering, our trials, they're all real and they hurt. Can't deny that. They're not fun, but when viewed through the lens of eternity, they're only for a little while and are not even to be compared with the glory that awaits us. I imagine a day hundreds of thousands of years from now when the memories of all the sorrow and grief of this present world are outweighed and overshadowed by the glory of the new creation. Racism, injustice, war, famine, abuse, disease, shame, guilt, fear, you name it. Confined to a tiny speck on the timeline of our existence. And three, our trials and our suffering and the grief that is experienced from them are, it seems, necessary and purposeful. Listen here, brothers and sisters. As a child of God, there is no trial, no temptation, no sorrow, no tragedy. Nothing that can touch you unless it first flows through the hands of our sovereign Lord. So here's what you have to understand as a child of God. If you're in the midst of grief, if you're in the midst of trials, if life is hard right now, it's because God has allowed it for your good and for his glory. When Paul says in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, the good things, the bad things, the comfortable things, the painful things. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We may not be able to understand or wrap our heads around all the reasons for our suffering. But what we do know from this passage in 1 Peter is that our faith is being refined in the fires of grief and sorrow. The fires of suffering and anguish are burning off the dross of our faith, so that when on that glorious day our Lord appears, all that will remain of our faith will be genuine and pure. 
more valuable than gold or any worldly possession, and they will result in praise, glory, and honor of our God of great mercy. When the people of God, for the purpose of God, willingly enter into suffering, and in the midst of that suffering rejoice in the hope set before them, it says great things about the God we serve. This is the type of faith that, can, that only the work of the Holy Spirit can produce. These believers had nothing to cling to but their faith, and that was all they needed. Peter says in verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These people didn't have the privilege of walking through Israel for three years, sitting under the teaching of Jesus. They weren't there to witness the crucifixion, the burial, and then three days later see Jesus walk out of the tomb looking better than ever. Peter did. They didn't. Yet they exemplified the blessed life of faith. They had not seen him, yet they loved him. They had not ever seen him. They had never seen him, yet they believed in him. To believe in and love Jesus Christ is the mark of a blessed life. Check it out. Follow me to John 20, 26 to 29. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. When Jesus said these words to Thomas that day, he was referring to these believers decades from that moment that Peter would be writing to. When he said these words to Thomas, Grace, 2,000 years ago, he was referring to you, to me. Can you say today about the person of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God? Have you truly trusted in and believed in the finished work of Jesus? If so, then Jesus says, no matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through, you are blessed. So rejoice. Rejoice! Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead, and God has caused you to be born again. Rejoice in the living hope of eternal life, an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance that awaits, awaits you. Rejoice, for you, Christian, are blessed through your faith. However, if you have not believed, if you have not trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ 
for your justification, then you have no reason to rejoice as of now. You are dead in your sins, and whatever else it is that you have placed your hope in is a futile hope. It will not sustain you. And you, of all people, are most to be pitied. Jesus offers you this hope today. Cry out to him today and plead for the gift of repentance and believe that he is who he says he is. And trust him with your life and your eternity. He is eager to save. This is the hope that we have, Grace, as the body of Christ. And this is all we have to offer to the lost. Whatever it is you're offering, and if it isn't this hope in Jesus Christ, stop offering it to them and give them Jesus. Because that is their primary need. In 2004, there was a 22-year-old young man. And he sat in a jail cell in Los Angeles County. And he was waiting for the state prison bus to come take him upstate. He had just pleaded no contest to a DUI vehicular manslaughter. He went upstate. He did his time. And the whole time he was there, he grew angry and he grew up and he grew bitter. He was raised in the church. He knew who God was. He served his country. He didn't want anything to do with God. How could a God allow a God who's full of mercy allow this to happen to him? He thought he was a pretty good guy. He got out of prison. He began to go on about with his life. And like I said, he hated the Lord. He wanted nothing to do with him. He believed in him. He said, no, thank you. And then one day, because God is great in mercy, he continued to pursue that young man. And he pursued him, and he broke him down, and he, in an instant, that was predetermined in eternity past, quickened him and brought him to life, giving him the gift of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ from the dead. And today, that man is standing before you, and he's preaching the word of God, and he's preaching this hope, Amen. the hope that saved my life. The only hope I have to offer. I have nothing else to give you except this hope. And it is the only hope that I will continue to give others till the day I die. It's the hope that the world needs. It's the only thing we can give. So let's be eager to give it because he's eager to forgive. Let's pray. Father, I just... I'm overwhelmed, Lord, by the great mercy you have poured out on my life. A wretched sinner, Lord. Blood on my hands. Destined 
to die and be separated from you for all eternity. And in your great mercy, Lord. You could have hardened the clay, but you softened the wax, Lord. In your great mercy, Lord, you pursued me. You chased me down. You had a plan. And I praise you for it, Lord. I'm grateful for it. There's nothing I could ever do to repay you. Except ask, Lord, that you use my life. You pour it out as as a sacrifice, Lord. For your hope, for your gospel. So that others can come to know the great mercy that I have come to know. And I pray, Lord, that you embolden us and you give us the courage to leave from here tonight, Lord. To take this hope to others. And see other lives become transformed through it. Remind us, Lord, that no matter what it is we're going through, no matter what type of trial we're facing, the suffering, the anguish, the sorrow, the grief, Lord, we are a child of God, and you don't waste pain. You are using it, Lord, ultimately for our good and your glory. Help us to remember that and help us to endure. Give us the grace we need every day, Lord, to endure. I'm grateful for your grace, Lord. I'm grateful for your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.